This is the Bob Account Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sports book app today. Start of the week. Paul Jones is with us all week. Uh, it, it, this is our one chance, Paul. We're going to talk basketball the whole day anyway. But the, you, you I, I've noticed you on my TV this this summer uh, with the CEBL. <laughs> and and for those people who don't understand what it is, can you explain it? Because there's lots it's, of, let's face it, yeah, you can you can live a cocoon and you may not know what the heck's going on with summer basketball in Canada. It it is the it is the the CFL of basketball. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, and and it's a league for Canadians. It's the league many people like me needed 40 years ago, where you come into university at 18, you play till you're 22 or 21. Yep. You're just physically coming into your 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 peak. You're just learning the game after getting through high school and you get your degree if you're lucky, they shake your hand and they send you out the door. And there's yeah. nowhere else to play. And thankfully, the CEBL that has created a lot of the traditional, recreated a lot of the traditional hockey and football rivalries, particularly in the West, when you have uh, Calgary, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, Edmonton, Vancouver. Yeah. And in the East, you've got like Montreal, Ottawa. There are two teams on the periphery in Toronto, Scarborough and Brampton, and a team in Niagara. You've got some, I, I mean, I did a game in, in, in Winnipeg, John, at where the Jets play. Canada Life Center, yeah. Canada Life Center. It was the Western Conference playing game. There were 10,580 people there wow. on a Friday night in Winnipeg. And I know there's a joke in there, but I walked no, the concourse. I walked the concourse, John, and it felt like I could have been at uh, at the arena in Miami or at Golden State or, 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 in, or in Toronto at Scotiabank. People were crazy i mean the yeah. place was jammed that's good and- I, I tell you what i i uh I, I caught you and rod black doing a game out of uh, windsport in calgary yeah and it looked as uh as the fan base was involved as uh, as any i've seen in any sport in a long time it was it was kind of cool we are going to talk basketball today uh we're going to talk about it with doug smith we're going to talk about the the hall of fame ceremonies in springfield on the weekend which i thought were the coolest things in sliced bread um, and but we'll start with uh, talking about what the heck's going on with the Toronto Raptors, if anything. Doug Smith, Paul Jones, Shannon here. This is the McCowan podcast. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for betrivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the Bet Rivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options and get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at one 866 531 2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge betrivers.com welcome back to the mccallum podcast paul jones in this week uh and joined by uh i, I was gonna call you writer emeritus doug but uh, that no, means I'm you're not working. working no i know still, i know believe me uh, but i was working. trying but i'm trying <laughs> i was trying to find a way to to, to put you on a pedestal i'm old uh, Okay, well, <laughs> join the club. Yeah, Doug Smith yeah. of the Toronto Stars <laughs> with us. Um, uh, you, you know, it's uh, what kind of summer would you suggest it's been for the Toronto Raptors? Um, dull, directionless, but um, I think calm might be a good idea too because they, you know, they did they made their big move right after the season ended when they fired Nick and hired uh, Darko. And that was the the sea change, culture change, attitude change thing they needed. And since then, I don't know. I'm not sure where they're going. I'm not sure they're sure where they're going. But they gotta. They're gonna start the season and figure out, figure it out as they go along. Yeah. So why? Where? Like we we every once in a while, about every ten days, you can go on social media and the Siakam rumors will perk up one more time. But that that's not going to happen, is it? I th- today no. 
and I'm sure there were certainly discussions around late June, early July with teams, Atlanta, Orlando, Indianapolis, maybe Portland, that didn't bear any fruit. And now they're quite, they're, there's nothing percolating. Now, it doesn't mean something won't pop up in a 10-day span, but I think what you're getting with these, this, this recycling of information every two weeks or so is that people are just bored and catching up with things to write about. <laughs> like last week, there was this, all this hullabaloo about Siakam not being part of the Raptor summer runs in Los Angeles. Well, except that he was. He was out there. He was working out after the full team worked out. He played on a team with Boucher and Barnes in the league out there. So, like, people just, I guess it's just maybe people are bored. Maybe they just want to recycle stuff. But the Atlanta talk the last, that came up last yeah. week, that's been around since, wow, yeah. mid-June, late June. This is not, there's nothing new. So you got to recycle what's old and make it new again. You know, Doug, I thought the uh, the Atlanta stuff was the the chatter that kicked it all off around Pascal being traded. That was the one that kind of made everybody kind of say, "Oh, maybe there's something going on here." And both of you guys know, in truth, if if front office people are doing their jobs, you're always taking phone calls. You're always making phone calls. It it it's it's always happening. And sometimes the phone calls go nowhere like this sometimes they get out but Doug my question is and a lot of people have asked me this over the summer in my travels and I mean my answer is I'll give you mine after I throw the question to you but people are saying well what's happening this year well how are the team would fans would say how are we going to be this year and it's it's easy to answer but at the same time it's it's not so easy to answer what you know what if you, when you get asked that question, what, what does your answer sound like? They're going to be fine. They're going to be competitive. they got a very good group of players with a new coach and maybe a new attitude. And I think, as we said for most of last season, something was just off with that group last year. And I think the change at the top may alter that a little bit. You know, I don't think, would they go in as contenders for an NBA championship? Obviously not. No. But are they in the top six in the Eastern Conference? You can make that case. As a starting lineup with you know, Schroeder's not Van Vliet, but he's not that bad. Barnes, Ananobi, Siak, and Pirtle, Gary Trent Jr., Preston Achua, Chris Boucher. That's not a bunch of stiffs. And they won 41 games last year, and I can probably count seven on the top of my head that they should have won and didn't. They get those games, or 48, then they're right in there in that five, six, seven area. And I think that's where they're going to be. Yeah. Where do you, uh, where do you, well, go ahead. You, you, no, you got to give, you give, you, you give your answer, Paul. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's, and that's kind of what yeah. I said to people, you know, I, I say it all the time. I said, don't, don't be um, swayed by people overplaying how quote bad the Raptors are going to be. It's, it's, it never is. And this each season takes on a life of its own. Um, you know, I, I just go back and reference the one, two seasons ago when you had Scotty Barnes as a number four pick coming in and you just come out of the lottery. All of a sudden they, they, you know, they make it to the five hole. They, they win. The expectations are managed and there you go. You end up fifth in the, in the conference. So, um, you know, you're, I, I'm with you, Doug. And I say that to people, I said, they're going to be fine. They're going to be competitive. They're going to play hard. Uh, might take a while with a new coach and a new system, but um you know, you, you can expect them to, to roll out guys that are going to play hard and they're going to be competitive. Well, do we have any sense, Doug, um, how different that system's going to be? No, we really don't. I, you know, I talked to Darko a bunch of summer league guys out there for a week or so, and, you know, he wants to play fast. He wants to guard. He wants to – I don't think we'll be nearly as frenetic as it was under Nick. There won't be a lot of trapping and scrambling and doubling and running from side to side and that kind of stuff. It would be more traditional. But I think, you know – Obviously, this man, this man's NBA, you want to play quickly and you want to get guys who can shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to work. That will be his goal. Whether he's got guys who can shoot the ball, I don't know. I think that's still a deficiency on the team. But the right shots maybe are made shots this year. And you know, I, I think you'll see a, a more traditional attack, uh, a more, more traditional style of play than you saw under Nick last year. But did but didn't we see a more traditional style once Pirtle got here anyway? And they were good. They were fine when Pirtle. Yeah. They, they were yeah. So I think personnel dictates it a lot, and I think the personnel this year. I think the biggest question Darko Radjakovic has is who's going to start. 
because basically he's got, like Nick had, six starters. You got, you would probably start Schroeder, Barnes, Ananobi, Siakam, Pirtle. But is Gary Trent Jr. a starter in the NBA? I don't think so, but he could be a starter on this team because you need a shooting. So I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic. You know, Darko said he wants to put the ball in Scotty Barnes' hands a lot more. Well, I hope Scotty's learned how to dribble with his left hand because he couldn't do it last year. And that's got to be a skill he's got to develop. So I, I don't think you'll see a noticeable change, but maybe subtle shifts. And then there are some difficult coaching decisions. I think you're going to see a little bit more of the development stress too. I, I, I really believe that with, you know, whatever's happening with 905 and, and the kind of the, the alignment there. And I think you're going to see more bench stuff. I, I think, you know, if they can kind of go eight and you, you talked about the personnel, Doug, I think you can easily go eight, nine deep. And it's just a matter of, um, those guys playing well enough to gain the coach's trust and confidence and having them in the game. I mean, you know, you, you, you look at what Darko did as an assistant in Memphis. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. was one of the guys he worked out with, did a lot with. He did a lot with Desmond Bain and those guys have come up. So, I mean, it's different when you're a head coach, you have different responsibilities, but I, I just don't see him as a guy that's going to lose that focus and know how important those people are, especially oh, no, the length of the season. You, you can't, you can't wear guys out. I think Jalen McDaniels is a unique, is an interesting aspect. I think he's an interesting ad. I think Christian Coloco was probably a player. I think obviously pressures that you had a horrible last year, but he was hurt and missed the quarter of the season in the middle of it. And that really set him back. I think there are some interesting bits there. I think Marquise Noel is an interesting bit. Yeah, but then it's up to the coach to develop them to the point where they can contribute even eight or nine minutes a night in the NBA. And I don't know where they are with guys like that yet. The the the, the topic of developing players and using your bench, and and this is from completely from the outside. Isn't that one of the reasons why Nick isn't here anymore? <laughs> isn't well, that I, part of the communication <laughs> of hey, listen, if you're going to coach our team, here's what we expect you to do, right? It's part of the reason he got the job, and it's part of the reason he lost it. Yeah. So he got the job through the bench mob. Right. But the bench mob also included NBA All-Stars and All-NBA guys that, you know, last year's group that he didn't trust. And that's ob- it was obvious from the middle of the year on that he didn't trust a lot of those guys to play them regularly. Not doing that ultimately played a big factor in why he's no longer the head coacher. Yeah. It, you know, John, it, it's funny because there's a vicious cycle there. Um, you, you play guys. They play well, they gain confidence, they gain the coach's trust, and they play more. Well, mm-hmm. the opposite happens too. You don't play well. Coach looks at you as a little shaky. I'm not going to put you in. I've got to win games. So, you know, the bench becomes underutilized. So it, I just think that um, there's going to be more of, of, of that, at least early, trying to get those guys going. And, and you might have to cut the rotation a bit. But at the same time, I, I, I don't think you're going to see it. Um, I think there's going to be more trust developed. Let's put it that way. They're going to try to develop more trust in those guys. Well, it, it, it's funny. If you try to use your bench uh, in any, any, any scenario when you don't have ah, high-end guys on the bench, you are running the risk of compromising your record, aren't you? Right, right. And, and, yeah. and you, you can't win in that sense because – you don't play the bench and people go, well, why aren't you playing the bench? Yeah. And then you put the bench in and guys don't play well. And you go, and people are yelling, well, take that guy out. Why is he in the game? So uh, it, it, there's, unless those guys are playing well, it puts you in a real tough spot. But I think you, if you're, if you're Darko, you got Darko Radjoko, but you got a, you got a clean slate and you got the trust of your boss. Right. Messiah's going to, and Bobby Webster are going to let him, probably, they'd be willing to take a few hits to find out what they got. And I don't think, I'm. well, they would have liked Nick to do it, but I'm not sure Nick felt he had their support if he had done it in lost games. I think Darko can probably drop a couple by finding out that this guy can play or this guy can't, and it's going to be okay with the people who sign his paycheck. So here we are, the end of the second week of August. We're, we're not going to see any roster changes are we we might see a couple of free agent signings or or or, you know tryouts 
But we're not seeing trades, are we, Doug? No. Well, the Raptors are done. They're at 21. They got they're they're there's nothing left. And maybe again, a Siakam deal could pop up, but I don't think it will. In the league, you got two huge issues out there. You got James Harden and Damian Lillard. And I think those things gotta get settled before Harden came up this morning and called his yeah. general manager a liar. And it will never be part of a team. Never play for a team again. Of. Yeah. So that's ugly and it's going to get uglier until it gets resolved. Lillard wants out of Portland. He might go to Miami. Portland doesn't want to necessarily give him up for nothing. Um, so a, a league-wide, there's a bunch of things that are going to happen. The Raptors are basically done. Unless someone blows them away with an offer for Siakam or, or somebody else, they're finished. They're at 21 camp guys, 15 NBA contracts, three two-ways, and three guys we're going to come in on what are known as Exhibit 10 contracts that give them their G League rights when they cut them. The Harden one is a, a fascinating one for me because, I mean, if you're Nick Nurse, again, do you want James Harden? Not this James Harden. Not the James Harden that calls the GM a liar. And the guy's going to wow. show up to camp and not want to play, not want to be there. So, no. You, you're, if I'm Nick, I'm calling Joe Moore this morning going, just move him, man. Just do something. And, and I mean, but... The the issue I have is with all this noise and fear, the sound and fury, and I and, and I must admit it it can it confounds me in the NBA a lot of times. Who would want him if if he's if he's making these types of statements? Um, who's going to say, well, I can, a I can cure him or I can make, put him in a good situation? And how long will it take to poison the water? Well, that's that's the big question. It's a big question with James Harden. It's always been the big question with Kyrie Irving. Um, I think that the Harden situation is unique in that he just has the one year left on his contract. And the, in the in the NBA, every deal is done with money in mind. Right. And if teams can get out of long-term money to suck it up with Harden for a year, because he's still a pretty good basketball player. I don't think he's, I'm not sure he's an all-star anymore, but he's still a pretty good basketball player. But if you can get out from long-term money to get him in there for one year and be done with the $34 million or whatever the number is, then maybe you take a shot. But you certainly can't give up a lot of long-term prospects or future draft picks for a guy who might kill your team and might be there one year. Just he's he's painting himself into a tough corner, Harden. And I don't know that uh, there's 30 general managers. One of them will always think one will. Yeah, but I don't know who that guy is. The the situation too, when I look at that, is it's as you said, Doug. It's ugly right now. But he could land in a spot with the right people around him, depending on what a team's willing to give up, and not have to do all that people have expected James Harden to do and all that he's done in the past. I mean, there's this there, there's this ongoing drumbeat about him with the Clippers. Well, if they could ever pull that off, and he ends up there with, you know, a healthy Paul George, a healthy Kawhi. Well, that but other- okay, so that'll be that'll be done by the end of November. Because so, I mean, those two, a healthy Kawhi and healthy Paul George, that, that that's an impossibility, isn't it? Well, we we see it occasionally, John. Like the comet, it comes by, it rolls by occasionally. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but but by April, by April, they're not. You, you know? know, if you yeah. if you can get hardened into a spot like Doug says, you know, I think he can still go. He he's not nearly what he was as the MVP. But he showed in that Boston series last year, there are times when he can still turn it up. And if you've got some people around him and he doesn't have to do that all the time and he can dial it back and maybe be a little more consistent in a new role where he's not everything all the time, um, I, I think he could be useful. Do you think, Doug, do you think he understands that? I think, I think he, he holds a higher opinion of himself than others do. Yeah. Welcome to the NBA, which is not surprising. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's like that's like every it's like us. But I think I think teams. I think teams Hold are, on, I, listen. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, good. Yeah. I'm pretty good behind the line, man. I, I am pretty you. good behind you. the line. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think I think he's a team killer. I think he's a team killer in Brooklyn. I think he's a team killer in Philly. I think he's gonna be a team killer where he goes. I think I wouldn't touch him with with a ten foot pole. I wouldn't sign him to your team. Let's put it that way. And what about Lillard? I mean, Miami or bust? I I don't I don't well I think that's how it's going to end up, but I think Portland's absolutely looking elsewhere to see what they can do, and maybe there's maybe there's nothing they can get elsewhere. But I, again, there is a difference in personalities. 
Damian Lillard obviously wants to go to Miami, and that's his first and only choice. But if he gets traded to Boston or or Dallas or someplace someplace else, he is going to comport himself as a pro because that's the way he is. And I think I think other teams who are circling, you know, Harden wants the Clippers, Lillard wants the Heat. If you're other teams trying to get one of them, you're far more interested in doing a deal for Lillard than you are for Harden just because of their personalities and the way they comport themselves. Because Lillard's not going to go somewhere and quit. And I don't know that Harden is going to be the best teammate wherever he ends up because he hasn't been in the last two places he's played. Paul, is this, know, a class, is this a classic case for a guy like Lillard that, you know, if you're a basketball junkie, you know how good he is because you will stay up late and watch Portland? Yeah, absolutely. But, but if he gets to, and I love Portland, it's a great city. The beer is cold. It's a fantastic. They got some. It's a great food trucks. But you know, if you go to Portland, you don't get seen very much on a national basis. And and so, do you really understand how good this guy is? I mean, we would have years ago had he been in a different market. And even with that, um, you know, I think I think people understand that. And to Doug's point about another team, if you're if you're a third team in on this, you're looking at the two major players and looking at what's under the surface. Maybe I can get this guy as my part in the three team. If I can't get the big prize, maybe I can get two guys from this team, two guys or a, a guy in a pick from this team. And I come out, even though I don't have the star, with a much better team and much better prospects going forward, even though I didn't get the big prize. So I, I just think that, you know, they're they're looking at each other, they're looking at other teams, but there are probably a lot of other teams looking around and saying, all right, well, um, what if we can get, you know, another player, like we can get their their fifth starter or two guys off the bench that will make us better. And we see, and, and look, that's a thing with trades all the time. You look at what's uh, your your player, your pro personnel people look at what is on a team's bench and say, mm. that guy might fit us. And we've seen it happen here. Go go back to the days. Who'd ever heard of Keon Clark before he came here, right? He's languishing on a bench somewhere. And he comes to Toronto and all of a sudden he's contributing. Now, there were other things that went with it, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Keon Clark would be much more popular today than he was then. The, right. the laws have, the well, laws have much, changed. Much less, likely to get, much less likely to get arrested today. <laughs> that's anyway. that's right. right. <laughs> and, and, you know, my, my point is those are the guys you look for. I mean, Doug, we're there every night, John, and you've been down there too, where you see a guy games at games at seven 30, the warmup started at, at, you know, 10 to 10 to six. And there are player pro player personnel guys from other teams sitting courtside, watching a guy's work ethic. Is he on time? How hard does he practice? Does he listen to coaches? All of those things. And you, if you think you can fit the guy fits and he's not playing in the place where you're watching him, you pick up the phone. I think there could be a lot of that going on in these two deals. I, I think, and I think a lot of it is driven by Lillard's personality and his abilities and his age. And that's working for him and it's working against Harden. And I think if there's going to be a three-team deal that nets a third-team significant pieces, it's going to be the Miami-Portland one as opposed to the Clipper-Philly one. Yeah. The um, I, I must admit, I, I kind of disagree with you, Paul, because if you can get Damian Lillard in any trade, you win the trade. Oh, I don't care. They, no, because you, you I, I know what you're saying, but – it's the classic case of if you get the best player, you're gonna win. You're gonna win that trade, no matter what you give up. Um, there are certainly there are role players that can help any team, uh, but but getting that guy and getting him in any scenario, I, I think. That, I mean, in in many ways, he might be able to put a team over the top. He might be that guy if you can put him in your system. With the with the talent you have, he may be somebody that can can put you in the championship series, don't you think? Yeah. Oh yeah. He can elevate. He can elevate any team to a legitimate contender status just by his presence. Um, I'm trying to think where he would be a good where that where a good example of that would be might be. Well, I'm trying to think. Um, 
So you put him in New York. I was going to say the Knicks. I was going to say the Knicks. Pretty good. Yeah. With him and Brunson, they're still not, I don't think, that big, but it would would probably cost you R.J. Barrett, but and a couple other pieces. But you put him there, they're pretty good. Man, you put him in Brooklyn with Michael Bridges and a couple guys there, they're they're not bad. Um, He can elevate a lot of teams awful quickly. Um, West, I'm not sure because, you know, obviously Golden State, Phoenix are stacked. Yeah, but if I'm Portland, I don't want him in my conference. No, no, you no, I trade, him. no you got to trade him. Yeah. East. yeah, he's coming east for sure. He's got to come east because you don't want him biting your butt four times a year. No, no. Hey, hey before we go to break, uh, a couple of things. Uh, it's uh, you've got. Have you booked your tickets for Vancouver yet, Doug? I'm I'm discussing with my bosses when when I'm going to go and where I'm going to stay because I think I I'll probably stay in Burnaby because that's where camp's going to be. But that I tell you what, the, the Raptors understand their role in this country yeah don't they i mean mean, and i think that that you know i still remember the day where i was at mlse um in a staff meeting a senior staff meeting when we got the memo that the grizzlies were leaving and you could see it on a few people's eyes they just gave us the whole country yeah and and this this organization in so many ways is particularly in the last decade, has really taken advantage of that, and that's important. I would like us to go back east again. I'd like to get to <laughs> Halifax. <laughs> I, 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 Halifax for a long time. I would like to go to Halifax, please. But they got to get, again, it's facilities. They got They would have to bring probably their own court to Halifax to put it down so that it's, it's two NBA standards. Um, you know, Quebec City was great, but I think they, the gym, they got to get it. They probably need a better one there. I don't think there's a facility in Montreal where they could have a training camp. Maybe we're done. I'm not sure about that. Uh, but I think, you know, they, obviously they, they see their role uh, significantly across the country. That's why we've been to Vancouver and Victoria a bunch of times sure. and played games in Edmonton and are going to play in Vancouver again this year. And NBA Canada is doing the Montreal. Montreal game is going to be outstanding. Yeah. The Oklahoma City yeah. with Lou Dort and Shea Gillis-Alexander against Detroit in Montreal. That's going to be a great event. You know, Doug, it, it, it's interesting because um... – I just I was east this past weekend. Well, was that Whitby or Ajax? No, 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 no. Oh, a little further east, New Brunswick, St. <laughs> oh, Stephen, wow. New Brunswick, where they have the world's oldest basketball court. And the Maritimers I mean, always claim to have the world's oldest because they have, they think that hockey was invented just outside of Halifax. Now they got the world's oldest basketball court. Well, what is what is that? I I think I think the records would substantiate. And validate this one though, John. And you, why you just want to be invited back next year? That's oh what. no, I've already been two years. I, I'm I, yeah, and I do want to be invited back. <laughs> I, great golf course, great people. The event was terrific, and like you said, Doug, there's a place I'd like to see the Raptors go east too. But they also owe a few trips to places too. But Halifax would be great. New Brunswick would be great. Love to see somewhere where they could go back in Newfoundland, like like all like. I would love to see it kind of go coast to coast like. Well, that. don't yeah. d- d- doesn't Grunwald still owe the owe the ga- a game to well, St. John's? Maple Leaf Sports does, and that's how <laughs> I know. Grunwald, to his blessing, he tried to go there. He he had yes. a game set up for the when he was the general manager of the Knicks. He was taking the Knicks to Newfoundland to play a preseason game, the year of a lockout, and he didn't oh. didn't happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those things that both uh, the Raptors and the Blue Jays have done a marvelous job of becoming a national entity with regional responsibilities. And it's, uh, I, I always tease, I tease my American friends. They say, well, you know, the, the Jays TV ratings and the Raptors TV ratings are good. I said, yeah, because it's, it's, you know, 35 to 40 million people. It's the world's largest regional market. It's, yeah. uh, and, it, and that's exactly what it is. We got to take a break. We're going to uh, pivot. I'm not sure that's a friends reference or a basketball reference. Anyway, we're going to pivot and um, talk about the uh, the Hall of Fame inductions on the weekend in Springfield, Massachusetts, because it was, in my mind, was something special. And uh, uh, more than once, it brought a tear to my eye. So I got to tell you that it was it was a, a really, really cool event. This is the McCowan Podcast. Paul Jones, Doug Smith, Shannon here. Talk to you in a bit. Welcome back to the McCown Podcast. Paul Jones in for Bob. Doug Smith from the Toronto Star with us. Doug, I'm sure you were glued to your TV watching Saturday, did you? I watched a bunch of, yep, watched a bunch of Saturday night, the induction ceremony, saw a bunch of the news conferences on Friday afternoon. And yeah, you know, that Hall of Fame, it's 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 a pretty 
it's a pretty special thing. It's a global thing as, as opposed to like a, a North American NBA thing, mm-hmm. which I think is very important. Uh, well, I have some issues with their selection process, but I think a lot of people do. I, but I think they get the right people in eventually somehow. Um, but as for a celebration of basketball, I think yeah. Saturday night was well, outstanding. Just, I, I don't, we, we can, we could always create debate over how people get put into halls of fame. Um, what, what do they do wrong? Do you think it's, it's far too secretive. There's only a group of, I think 24 people on the, it's well, you, yeah, I'm yeah. preaching, I'm preaching to the choir on this yeah. one, right? There's, I think 24 people on the final committee, they got 18 votes to get in. They never release the number of votes. They don't know. You don't know who's on the committee. And uh, that's a kind of a, you don't know who's on the committee. No, no, the process is a bit flawed, but I do think they get the right people. No, it's, it's not Jerry. It's not Jerry Colangelo and his friends. Oh, it's Jerry and his friends. <laughs> I don't know who the 23 <laughs> friends are. But yeah, it's like, so yeah, there are, there's issues with the process, but I think the end result is always good. And the Saturday night is a very special basketball night. And it was, you know, Pop was great. Yeah. Becky Hammer yeah. was great. Pau Gasol is one of the more fascinating athletes of our time for all the stuff he does away from basketball. And it was really nice to see them be celebrated and to yeah. hear them tell their stories and what was important to them. And well, I'll tell you what, if 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 uh, if you didn't follow the proceedings and haven't followed it, 12 inductees, which is a lot, um, Tony Parker, Paul Gasol, Jim Valvano, Greg Popovich, Gene Keaty. Oh, God, I hated him when he was at Purdue. Um, did you, but did you love, here's the Gene Keaty story that no one, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to write it. He was a Raptor coach. Yes, an assistant. That's coach. right. He spent, he spent yeah. half a season here. Do you, was, I, yeah. I do remember that. I, yeah. I, I didn't, uh, now, who would have brought him in? Was that Brian uh, brought him in? I think. I think Brian Colangelo brought him in and yeah. worked with Sam for half a year in 06, 07. Uh, uh, yeah, there's another Raptor angle there. Gene Best, Gary Blair, Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, David Hickson, big in the college world, Becky Hammond, you mentioned, and then the 1976 women's basketball team, American women's basketball team, who I, I think that was a sympathetic vote. I, I, I mean, you, they were a silver medalist. They didn't win the gold medal in 1976. They're a good no, basketball team. But... Nobody was beating the unified, the Soviet Union then. They were the Soviet Union. That was also were, that was also the first time that basketball has been played by women at the Olympics. Right. right. In Montreal. In Montreal. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so but when, you, when you think that going into the hall at the same time, Parker Gasol, Nowitzki, Wade... Um, and I'd put Becky Hammond as my my point guard. I might win a few games. It's a pretty good team, yeah, yeah. It's it's cool that they sort of all retired at the same time, so they could all be celebrated on the same night. And I, but, I think you know it's it was it was it turned out to be a celebration of the Spurs because right. that's, the connections were so deep at with so many people. That guy like Dwayne Wade sort of got lost in the whole San Antonio Palooza, which is which is okay with me because that that Spurs organization has turned out brilliance at most levels for 25 years well it, it paul it could have been just a a popovich night couldn't it he was he was you know as curmudgeon and crusty as he can be in in the end of the quarter interview or with the media before or after the game um inside there's a guy who's and, and doug said this about pal gasol and i'll say this about pop too there's a real humanitarian and there's a guy who wants to make things better and he goes about it by getting to people, getting to his players, um, being um, unabashed about talking uh, about difficult issues in public and with the, with the media and raising an awareness. So you knew John and you and I were, talked about this you knew he was going to steal the show he was oh, yeah. he was he was terrific and just <laughs> you know the stuff he said about getting into coaching and and his his humor around surprisingly the nuggets cut me and kept david thompson um like you know that's there's there's a part of him that we don't always see under the the gruff exterior and the intensity but but every spur player who has played for him talks about him just trying to make them not just a better player, but a better, a better human being. See, here's the thing I love about the Spurs is that for a decade now, all we've heard out of Miami is heat culture, heat culture, heat culture. 
all coming from members of the Heat. Well, guess what? There's been a Spurs culture for 25 or 30 years, and mm-hmm. they don't talk about it. They just do it. And I think that's and I think that's pop. Because I think one of his great attributes and the great things he preaches to everybody he meets and come in contact with, with is the first thing you gotta do is get over yourself. You gotta you can't be you can't be worried about you. You gotta be worried about us. Just get past yourself. And that allows you to sort of thrive. And I think that's of the lessons he's taught athletes over what, 45, how many, how many decades? That's the lesson that people need to take. That that the first thing to unlock yourself is to get over yourself, and I think that's pretty big. Well, it it didn't help get uh, it didn't hurt getting uh, either David Robinson or Tim Duncan first oh, overall. So no, and, and, and <laughs> they, 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 from, they, they never was like the 59th pick, and Tony Parker was the 29th. Like that's yeah. that's pretty good. It, that 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 reminds me of the, Lou Lamorello turning to me one day at the at the arena and saying, "Wow, that." Uh, that was an awful year. He says we worked very hard to get Austin Matthews. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. But uh, <laughs> the, the the thing when when he when he got into his speech and he said, "This is I'm great. It's great to be here. I really appreciate it." But all I'm going to say is one word, duh. And then he yeah. points he points and walks over and shakes the hands of all four of those guys, including Robinson, including Duncan and Parker. <laughs> I mean. Uh, how to how he managed all those guys really was the secret to his success but at the same time the talent that he had was greater than anybody at any individual time in the last four decades right yeah it's a pretty it's a pretty good team so always always with two or three great players he wasn't i don't think he was blessed with as much talent as phil jackson had all those years and with the bulls and with the lakers but right you know pop got guys who were basically selfless not at all ego driven uh, you know, Duncan and Robinson were relatively unassuming public figures. Manu was a little bit excitable. Um, Tony Parker was the same kind of thing. He was not an out there, in your face kind of player, but it was a perfect mix. And it, it was led by a guy whose first deal was okay, who cares who you are, how good you are? We got to be better. And I, I think that's that's his gift to coaching is that he's able to convince people to get past himself because that will make them better. You know, John, Doug, I don't know if you were there. The Raptors played in San Antonio, and it was shortly after Rudy Gay had been on a couple of different teams, and he came to San Antonio. And it was early in the year. And I remember going to the locker room to talk to him. And, you know, how you doing? How's it going? He goes, it's good. It's good. But it's going to take me a bit to get used to this Spurs thing. <laughs> and And I kind of said, what do you mean? He said, it's just different here. It's good. It's real good, but it's just a little bit different. And and I think he was, you know, alluding to all of these little things that the organization does around the culture and and you know the way Popovich is and the way guys are treated and the expectations. All of those little things, mm-hmm. you know, combining together. There was, there was a great clip the other day with Greg Popovich talking to a coaching clinic, right? And everybody's waiting for these great pearls of wisdom and you know, how you create a, a championship team. And he said, this is what we start with every year. He says, I have a cone at the free throw line extended. I have a cone at center. I have a cone at the free throw line extended at the far end and the baseline. I do that on both sides and everybody's writing down on their pads. And and he says, and yes, even though it's Tim Duncan, we run to the cone in front of him and we teach him how to jump stuff. You know, the same thing you do with your grade sixes and grade sevens, you can do with kids in bitty ball, drive your toes into the floor, get your balance and stop. And then he runs to the next one and people are looking like you're crazy. And he says, yeah, no, this is what we do. And that kind of not taking anything for granted, making sure everybody understands and, and, and creating that and the way it's created from the start is something I think that is, that is timeless. And, you know, not a lot of organizations uh, want to continue they'll start to put that time in but it's a matter of keeping it up and continuing mm-hmm. it to be great well so so that leads me to wonder i mean the popovich Kawhi leonard relationship was it was that just a case of somebody not buying into spurs culture oh i think that i think Kawhi's issues were more with management and uh medical than they were pop okay. uh, I, I think that was the thing that at the end 
was the driver behind that. But again, we're not there. We don't know for sure. And Kawhi certainly didn't open up to us to tell us um, during his time here. But I, I think there were greater issues than just Greg Popovich with because Kawhi and Danny Green, I remember the first championship they won and they were kids. They were little babies and they were celebrating like, like I'd never seen. We were in San Antonio and they were at the podium with the champagne and, and we, I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. These young kids are learning from Duncan Robinson, Parker, manager, Obley, Greg Popovich. Mm. And they were, they certainly had bought in at that point and then yeah. one more and then won titles again, but on the, on the, with Kawhi, so the one year Danny Green was probably if they, the year they lost to Miami, Danny Green was going to be the MVP of the of the NBA Finals. Mm. He was that good. Yeah. And then he I mean, he got him in Game Seven. But um, uh, yeah, I think I think the Kawhi issue was a high was a bigger issue than just Pop. The other the, the two other guys that you, you know you you talked about getting lost in uh, Spurs Palooza. Uh, you mentioned Dwayne Wade. Um, where does he rank in 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 the pantheon of basketball. I probably put him as a, one of the top two or three shooting guards in the history of the game. Like he was electric, could do everything. And then, you know, not a big guy at all. It's just a, it's a powerful, um, gifted player at, at every level. I think he's obviously well-deserving of being in the hall of fame, but I, I'm not sure people realize just how good he was when he was really good. Uh, I, and and I, I, I'm not sure people realize his will to win. I mean, it, it's 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 a cliche, but how hard he played, and I, I don't think people realize that. Yeah, he was talented, but when a guy who's that talented is willing to work that hard, I mean, he he went through as he chronicled tons of issues uh, from a health standpoint, and he just kept playing. And that I thought it was interesting that brief time when he left Miami and he had the you know the the tour he was in Cleveland with LeBron and all of these things and you know there were people in our business saying to Miami this guy sacrificed a lot for you to be able to get championships and was really selfless and all he wants to do now is kind of recoup some of that he gave up money give him his money like it's it's time to repay him and and uh I don't think people realized how hard he played all the time, like consistently. You talk about, you know, Doug, you mentioned that heat culture and you talk about guys that Pat Riley wants to play for him. Like, I, I couldn't think of anybody better than Dwayne Wade. The other one, the other one is Nowitzki. I, uh, did, did any, does he get enough credit for changing the game with the, you know, with the, with, with the, the seven footer facing the hoop? I think in the game he does. Obviously, I think he's the best non-North American trained player ever. Um, but I think among basketball people, I think he gets all all the credit he needs and deserves for being the first. Yeah. The first, that one-legged fadeaway, the, the, the face-up game as a seven-footer. He, you know, he, he, was, he sort of revolutionized that position. And I think people in basketball certainly understand it, and I hope fans do, because I'm glad he won a championship that people got to see just how good he was. Like he was yeah. unbelievably talented. And it, obviously, again, I think the best non-North American trained player to ever play the game. I think, I think Don Nelson deserves some credit for his vision too. As crazy as it might've been at that point. Uh, you know, when Don Nelson was coaching the Knicks, he wanted Patrick Ewing to do some stuff like that, play out away from the basket and, and, that was that was give your head a shake in that era of basketball, and then he ends up with Dallas, and they like that was one of the greatest draft day trades when they got when they got Nowitzki for Robert Tractor Trailer, and everybody was like, okay, well, yeah, why why wouldn't you take Robert Trailer, known commodity, uh, you know, North American, and Don Nelson, the Mavericks saw something with mm -hmm. Dirk, and they were they were like, okay, we couldn't get somebody else to do it. But here's a kid coming in that has his skill. And if we can have him hold it together and overcome some of the issues he's going to face, namely confidence when you listen to Dirk, this thing's going to be good. And they rode it all the way to a championship. Hard to believe that he did lack that confidence early on, right? Really is oh. amazing. Well, it's got to be intimidating, man. He's a skinny teenage kid from Germany. And no one ever heard of him. And all of a sudden, you got 
Now, you're in a pretty high-profile program, and John Nelson traded for you on draft night against for a trade away, a, as Jones, you said, a known commodity, a known North American commodity. He wasn't a, a terrible player, but he certainly was no... Very physical, though. Very physical. Couldn't, look, but couldn't hold a candle to Dirk Nowitzki. No. You know, couldn't carry Dirk's shoes. But, you know, I think it would be a little intimidating if I, if I was Nowitzki as a teenager coming over and, and being in that position and being asked to do what I was asked to do. Yeah, it's a, it, to, uh, by the way, as long as Don Nelson didn't try to teach him how to shoot that one-handed set shot that Don Nelson used to try from the corner, you know, in the two-point, in the two, in the two-point game. Then Nelly going to show you all his championship oh, oh, I know. Yeah, Guess what? That one-handed set shot's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> or the running hook, John. Or, oh, or no. the, the yeah, Don I Nelson know. running hook. But I tell you, well, when he, when, when he was with the Celtics, he was, uh, he was something to behold. They they made the game fun, that's for sure. I mean, he was. I mean, the legacy of guys like that. When you talk about the, you know, what Popovich has done and how he's passed it down, Don Nelson's done. He's passed it down. There's something magical about basketball when it comes to the legacy of some of those old crusty guys, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, there is. And actually, I just want to throw this out there. Don Nelson couldn't be in Springfield on Saturday. He probably should have been, or probably wanted to, but he lives in Maui. And right. he just went through all that horrible, that horrible tragedy with Maui and Lahaina. Um, I talked to a guy who talked to him. He's fine. Him and his wife are safe. They're, they, they survived. They, you know, they, they've obviously been devastated by what's gone on there. And it's really too bad that he couldn't be there. Cause I think he would have probably, uh, he would have had some good stories to tell about, you know, you know, John, that kind of thing. John, I think it's, I think you hit on something that's really important and you listen to all these hall of fame speeches and you talk about the legacy and passing things down. Everybody always talks about the people before them and how they inspired them. And I thought Dwayne Wade talking about Allen Iverson wearing number three and all of that. And you know, and you go back and you watch Allen Iverson's Hall of Fame speech where he talks about Michael Jordan and inspiring him. And so I, I think that's a great point, John, about all of these things and I always say this, people in the game were caretakers for the game. You, you, somebody gives you the, the broom, you kind of look after the building, you, you, you try to leave it in the best shape you can, and then you give your broom to the next person. Mm. And, and they watch you take care of the game. They watch you love it and be passionate about it. And then it's like, okay, it's your turn. I, I, I've done everything here. It's your turn. So, you know, Don Nelson, and like I said, Wade talking about, you know, Gas Wade talking about Iverson. Pau Gasol talking about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, just like all of the, hey, it's passed on. And I'm sure there will be people coming up, especially in the international vein, talking about these guys, talking about Parker, talking about Gasol, talking about Nowitzki, and just the way that they were inspired by them to become great. Well, uh, and I'll tell you, you, both you guys are on the Canadian Basketball Hall of Fame Committee, correct? Yes. One of them, yes. <laughs> aren't you on it doug yeah 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 there's, there, there, there's there, yeah. three how many how, how many how, how many levels. are there there's levels but i'm yes i'm involved in the process yes Quite proud. Uh, yeah but and it's uh it's not easy because as many people as you're going to please you're going to piss the others off well i i jones and i've had this discussion with others and together many many times a hall of fame is a pinnacle it is a place for the truly 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 yeah. great I've been for my entire life a Hall of Fame hard ass. That you got to be special, like un, like more special than special, to get into one. And I, I think it's been. I think it, the induction process has been in professional sports in North America has been relaxed a little bit too much. I think there are guys getting in the Hall of Fame who are not Hall of Famers, and I'm I go the other way. But this basketball group, I can't think of one who didn't isn't worthy of what they got especially of those players. There's no question about it. Those, hey, think, the, those, those guys, are all, they're all generational. Let's face it. Yeah. I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think next year Vince is eligible. And I would presume he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. In a, in a no-brainer. But, I, think, I think it's this time next year we'll be talking about him. It's kind of cool. Boys, always appreciate it on a Monday. Thanks very much. All right, kids, take care of yourselves. Good to see you, Doug. Road. Paul and I will be back after this. Welcome back to the McCown podcast. And, uh, you know, at some point, I think it's kind of good that, you know, 
the guy in the title of the show shows up. Hello, Robert. I'm fine. Thank you very much for asking. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't ask, but that's okay. That's How are right. you? I'm all right. Yeah. Now, what's your progress, man? Tell us what. what tell well, us what's you going know, on. it's. I guess it's better every day, but uh, we're at the point now where the progress is very slow. So you wake up in the morning, you don't feel any different than you did the day before. So it's uh, it's happened. You know, my my walking is better. No cane, no chair, no nothing now. Um, I I am a little out of balance, but uh, I can walk. So that's good. I've been out a bit. So uh, better all the time, John. Getting out of the house, that's good. That's yep. good news. Not real, not a lot, but, you know, a little bit here and there. Actually went out for lunch the other day. Whoa. First time in uh, two months I went out of the house to eat. And that went okay. So, uh, you know, I didn't fall over. I didn't, you know, upset any chairs or anything. So Beautiful. You know, it's all right. If you upset chairs, Bobcat, you could always claim your best Bob Knight. You know that, right? Well, I know I could. I uh, I thought about <laughs> taking my cane with me just to have, you know, extra support in case I needed it. But I didn't do that. And, uh, you know, I was fine. You know, it was, a, it was pretty good. Excellent. But, you know what's going to happen now is that somebody who listen, regularly listens to the podcast is going to say, Bob needs some sort of cane. And he's going to give you ha something hand carved and a, a little character, and then it, yeah. then it, then it's going to you're going to become the guy with the sunglasses and the cane. That'd be okay. I'd do that. You know, <laughs> if I had a fancy cane, that'd be great. Little personality you know, to the uh, to the scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have okay. one of them right now. I just okay. Have a cane. You, you got thirty seconds. What yeah. uh, what uh, struck your fancy on the weekend sports wise? Well, um, Argos won, Blue Jays won yesterday. Blue Jays are funny. They they go through these spells where they can't get a hit when they need it, and then they score 11 runs. You know, really hard to figure out what's going on with them. I must say I'm not really enthusiastic about the Blue Jays' chances right now. I, uh, I'm very worried about their offense. Good to see Batista get uh, some... Uh... Notoriety yeah, on really, the weekend. That was really nice yeah. and brought back a lot of memories for all of us, I think. Well, I think you and I were standing together when we uh, up in the Rogers box when he, when we did the bat flip, weren't we? They, we were. In fact, I remember we were in the box. Yeah. I would rather have been in the stands or someplace else, but uh, that's where we were. Yep. I'd, ra I'd rather be with the free food. Thank you, Robert. Uh, that doesn't <laughs> surprise me, John. You know that. <laughs> all right. Hey, Jonesy, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay. Paul Jones, Hi, Bob McCowan, John Shannon, the McCowan podcast for a Monday. We'll see you tomorrow.